just listening to thousands, literally thousands of songs about heartbreak, rejection, pain, misery, and loss. Did I listen to pop music because I was miserable? Or was I miserable because I listened to pop music? Well, music is my life, man. What do you want me to do? Hello out there. Welcome to the first episode of Love That Album for 2013. It's wonderful to be back. I've had a few weeks off on summer break. That's what happens in uh, the Southern Hemisphere at this time of year. Um, had a lovely time. Went on a uh, rather long drive with my family to uh, Adelaide. Got to visit uh, my good friend Michael Persh of the Sitting in a Bar in Adelaide podcast. Went to a place called Kangaroo Island and I didn't get myself... Um, torn apart by a kangaroo like I did about 11 or 12 years ago, but that's a, another podcast story in itself, so I won't bore you with that. Anyway, so for episode 36 of Love That Album, the first one for 2013, I thought I'd start things on a negative note by talking about a really depressing album, and uh, I'm very, very excited because my special guest, my um, co-presenter for this episode, is the third in a line of... Um, uh, presenters from the List Music podcast that I've had the privilege and pleasure to have on my show. Uh, Juan Jose de la Cruz from the List Music podcast. Uh, good afternoon to you. Yeah, good. Good afternoon. I'm I'm really, really, really proud to be here. Like I'm I'm I don't even know what to say. Oh. I'd never imagined myself on uh, <laughs> going to be on another podcast. I I hardly ever thought anyone else was going to listen to mine. So. Oh, that well, you've, but so, well let, let, let's talk a little bit about um, about the List Music podcast and about your own ventures. Now, I've gone and spoken uh, you know, regularly every every show, like at the end of the show, when I'm uh, you know, sort of giving my thanks to all the other podcasters who I enjoy. I always like to give a big plug to the List Music podcast because, as I said to Ricardo and VK in previous shows, it was you know <laughs> such a simple, straightforward concept, but so wonderful because everyone loves a list. And you know, it just sort of hit me, why had no one thought of that before? It just seems so obvious. But what I really enjoy about the List Music podcast has always been that you guys don't necessarily just talk about what you love about a particular artist and whatever topic you're talking about, but you talk about your own personal experiences and how you relate to that song. And I remember, you know, VK has gone and told some, you know, pretty sad stories in the past, you know, what a particular song meant to her and something that happened in her life. And I really dig that, you know, it's not always just talking about the music, it's, you know, talking about personal experiences. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, really from from your perspective, when, I I presume it was Ricardo who sort of came up with the idea for, for the list, was it, in the beginning? Yeah, yeah, all credit due to him. Yeah. Yep. So did he just sort of come to you straight away and say, hey, want to do this? What were your thoughts in the beginning? Uh, I was a little hesitant because I, I really didn't know anything about it. I He came up to me and he's like, hey, what do you think about doing a podcast? I'm like, oh, cool. What's that? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I, I, well, I didn't know what a podcast was, but I didn't really know what he was going for. And he explained it to me. And uh, I thought it would be a fun fun idea. And he, he knows that I... That I like a lot of music, little d- different types of music from him. So the dynamic would be different. A lot of the same types, but also, you know, 
were were different in certain aspects. So, the, I, what I really was drawn to it is that he he basically took four completely different people that because if it was like the same kind of crew of people that listen to the same thing, it, I feel like it would have been boring. So I'm really glad that that Jenny's there, that Ricardo's there, and that uh, VK is there, so we can kind of argue and and torment each other on our own uh, style of music, I guess. Well, that that is pretty much uh, another thing that I you know, uh, really enjoy about listening to the show. Is um, yeah, there, as you mentioned, there is that dynamic, and you know, there there are times where you know uh, one of the, say you know yourself or Ricardo or Jenny, <coughs> excuse me, will um, uh, you know nominate a particular song, and you can almost hear VK putting her head in her hands. Um, I, I just yeah, I, I really find that um, you know quite enjoyable just to sort of hear that. Um, you know, you're, you're not just all going to be pissing in each other's pocket. You're you're you're, yeah. re- you're really up for a, a a good hard discussion. You know, whether you agree or you don't. So, um. Yeah, yeah. That's so I think that's what I like about it. So outside of um, the List Music podcast, you are a filmmaker like Ricardo is, and yeah. also a musician. So just briefly, just tell us a little bit about uh, what it is that you've been doing film. Film-wise, over the last few years, now I know that you and Ricardo had recently uh, gone and completed a couple of short films and entered them for like a local Los Angeles film festival. Is that right? Yeah, we we each did our own uh, short film. Uh, I did a, a little, um, I guess, dark comedy about serial killers falling in love. And <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> that's typically the reaction I get when I tell people. Well, I thought I thought it was funny, but uh, I, I I guess it's for people to judge. Um, and hopefully that will be online any any time now. I'm just waiting on on the producers to to figure out when when they want to put it up. Right. Um, I've but, been sort uh, of nag- nagging Ricardo for uh, for a little while, saying, "Hey, when am I going to see your film? When am I going to see Juan's film?" And he actually um, uh, sent me a link to an earlier film that he'd uh, gone and um, uh, uh, made, which I, I know that you did some uh, some assistance with and. Um, I, I think uh, Michelle uh, Michelle Coyle had also gone and done some background work on. Um, I'm trying to remember the name of the film, but it had like uh, the, the the cop and, um, uh, and and this other guy who you know who'd been in and out of prison, and they're just having this conversation. Um, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. It's it's called uh, Two Bulls. Two Bulls. That was it. Yeah, he tells he tells a joke and he can't even tell it right. And, and yeah. Um, that, no, that, was that, was, good, that was a I, good time, yeah. I loved watching that. I thought, wow, if this is what your filmmaking style is about, I really, really want to see more. Um, so do you, do you feel that you and Ricardo work um, in, you know, in in a similar sort of way? Or, or do you think that you're, uh, <clears throat> like, you know, I presume that both of you respectively write your own stories as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, do, yeah. Do you think along a similar line? Do you write it doing similar films or do you see yourself going off in a different direction to what Ricardo does? Uh, I, I feel like we're we're pretty different in terms of our our stylistic choices and and how we go about you know actually directing or writing. But um, when it comes to helping helping each other out, you know, I I give him a call when I need help, and he he does the same. And we work well doing that on set. But uh, I think um, we're pretty pretty different in our in our way to approach filmmaking. Right. So, so when when you were kids, were you always making pretend films behind the uh, behind the house shed or something like that? 
I, I don't I don't know about Ricardo, but for myself, I was always that kid in like um, I was always a horrible student in school. So <laughs> so in school, I they're like, okay, you got to do a book report. And I would raise my hand and I, I would be the person to ask, can I just film something and show you guys that? <laughs> so I would do I do little videos on like VHS and stuff like that. From right. Like early, early on, like I probably was like five or six when I started doing that. Um, so I I never really thought of it as a career until I got like to high school. And then and then it became more of a serious thing. And then eventually I went to film school and uh, here I am now. Well, so you're finding that the opportunities for you to uh, make your films, uh, you know, quite plentiful, or do you just make your own opportunities? How does it work? Um, it's kind of hard because I know a lot of people that graduated from film school with with me. They're they're getting a lot of jobs, um, you know, doing a lot of uh, work, um, like behind the scenes, but not directing, you know, not writing or producing. They're they're you know being grips and you know, setting up uh, scenes and, you know, working on camera. And that's all good. I love doing that when I'm, when I'm on set. But ultimately, I want to be able to tell stories. Mm. And, and that's where the difficulty comes in. So you kind of have to self-produce most of your material to, to be able to get it made and get it seen by people. Yes, yes. And do you find that uh, the films that you're making are serving as uh, good calling cards to um, to people who might otherwise be able to sort of uh, help you out or finance for like a feature film of, of some sort? I, I'd hope so. <laughs> but uh, I, I honestly, I, I don't know. I, I'm the type of person like for, you, you mentioned the film festivals that I've done. Um, and during the screenings, I can't even be in the room. I have to walk away and kind of <laughs> just listen to the reactions going yes. on in the theater. But uh, I'm hoping they're getting well received. And uh, yeah, I'm doing them so I can do more stuff you know, adding to to the the repertoire of work that I'm doing. Nice. So, and yeah. and um, uh, also, you've been talking a fair bit in uh, recent List Music podcast episodes uh, about your work with a band. So tell us a little bit about that. Ooh, sore subject. Oh. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And, um, that uh, didn't work out. Apparently, oh. like uh, yeah, I found out this week that it wasn't working out. Um, I don't want to go into too much detail. Okay. But uh it just it, it we we had a most of the band formed and then we lost our drummer. And typically what my experiences with bands is the drummer kind of holds everything together because as soon as we lose a drummer, the whole band just kind of falls apart. Well, I'll so, I'll vouch for that. I'm a drummer and I can tell you that you know we we need our respect, you know. We hold everything together. It's just when the band's together no one appreciates that. Yeah, I, I I think I'm gonna I'm gonna try to talk a little bit about what happened on on the list music podcast, but uh, for right now I don't want to I don't want to speak ill of of anyone. <laughs> I gotta I gotta watch my words right okay. now. Okay, so. all right. Yeah. You, you you give yourself time to compose it. So, uh, so yeah, I don't it. I don't want to I don't want to just like be pissy and and you know <laughs> just uh, start ranting about people. Fair enough. That's more my. That's more my game. That's what I do. Um, all right. Okay, so I don't think we actually mentioned yet what album that we're covering. I did say we're going to talk about a depressing album, um, and yet it's musically uplifting in a lot of ways. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, Elliot Smith's album XO, which was the first of his major label records. Uh, and later on in the show, um, uh, Eric Reanimator is returning 
for 2013 with the first of his An Album That I Love segments. Uh, and this time around, he'll be talking about a Mark Lanigan album, he of The Screaming Trees, and uh, he'll be talking about Mark's album Whiskey for the Holy Ghost. So uh, I look forward to uh, playing you that. It's a great little segment, as Eric usually provides for us. Uh, but um, anyway, before... Uh, Juan and I start talking about uh, the Elliot Smith album. We'll cut to a quick break, and when we come back, we'll uh, dig in to uh, talking about uh, Elliot Smith's EXO. You're listening to Love That Album with Morrison Juan. We'll be back in a moment. Have really done it this time. Destined to be one of the top albums of the year, Macklemore Avenue. Maybe it's utter fantastic. So fantastic, you'll just have to hear it. Hearing is believing. Pure funk, as the MGs outdo the Beatles on their latest, but got to be the greatest. Booker T and the MGs doing everybody's thing, Macklemore Avenue. It's available at your favorite record shop. And she ain't lying either. And we're back from break. Morris here, Juan in Los Angeles. Um, thanks to the magic of Skype. I keep talking about that, but I I'm, I'm never cease to be amazed by the fact you know, where we are in technology nowadays that... I can do a, a lovely radio type show with someone on the other side of the world. It can be a it can be a pain with time zones and things like that, but you know we managed to make this one work. Uh, luckily, you're you're on break, so. Uh, well, this is my last day of break. In fact, I requested, oh. uh, knowing that I wanted to do this at a uh, reasonable hour, um, I made sure that uh, I was going to request this extra day of uh, of break before going back to work. I go back to work tomorrow. Uh, so here we are, and uh, it's all—it's all very civilized. It's um, a little after midday here, on midday on uh, Wednesday in this part of the world, and it's, yeah, it's still it's late still afternoon Tuesday over here. Yeah, ex- exactly. So um, it, it blows my mind. I like you—you you said you were going on summer break, and over here it's like winter. Mm. Uh, and every time I like—I—I I think of—I uh, think of the movie The Proposition, where right. where they're celebrating Christmas, and it's like just hot, and you know, like I, it doesn't process in my mind. Yeah, look, it, it's um. I, th- I think recently on one of the music uh, Facebook forums, there was a someone had gone and started a subject about you know favourite Christmas songs, and I went and threw in. There's a there's a, an Australian singer called Paul Kelly who I think might actually be in the states as we speak, um, and he's put out what I think is one of the greatest all time Christmas songs called "How to Make Gravy," and he sing when he's singing in it. It's you know, uh, basically it's a story which I think would make a really great film about a guy who's in prison and he's writing this song, uh, he's writing this letter to his brother, uh, saying, "Look, you know, I'm I'm on my last six months of prison. I'm you know, I'm going to miss another Christmas, but I hope you enjoy the uh, the Christmas lunch that's provided by my family, and you'll have a nice time with my kids and my wife, and uh, it, and I know you're going to be cooking a turkey, even though it's um." Or cooking a roast, even though it's uh, going to be, you know, hot as hot as buggery. And I sort of thought, I wonder what the Yanks would make of this. Now, and the film club has Paul and his band. Very, very simple. Just 
sitting playing out in the summer sun on top of a rooftop. And I'm thinking this would just be so strange, so foreign to um, uh, American audiences. And you know, yet it, it is to me. It's just about the greatest Christmas song. It's, it's probably my favourite Paul Kelly song. And given that he's written about three, four hundred songs, that's really something. Wow. So who has the rights to that story? Who do I need to contact? Uh, you need to contact movie? Mr. Paul Kelly, Mr. Paul Kelly uh, of <laughs> of, uh, of, uh, of St Kilda, Melbourne, Australia. And um, yes, I, I, but he's in the states, and you know, I mean, your your country's not that big. I'm sure you can track him down. Oh, anyway, but we're not here to talk about Paul Kelly today. That might be uh, he might be the subject of a future episode, no doubt. But uh, we're here to talk about uh, singer, I believe, from Portland, Oregon, originally, uh, Elliot Smith, and his first major label album, XO. So I want to ask you, Juan, when was when were you first aware of uh, of Elliot? Uh, I think I was first aware of him from the songs he contributed in in movies. I think I was around um, what was that movie? The Royal Tenenbaums, when Needle in the Hay right. was played in that song. I think that was my first exposure to Elliot Smith. Now, did that come along before or after Goodwill Hunting? That was after. Okay. That was, uh, yeah, yeah. I I I'd probably heard Miss Misery and you know, but I I didn't really you know pay attention until. I guess Royal Tenenbaum still until uh, I heard uh, Needle in the Hay. Right, right. And so, okay, so you heard this song in the film. Did you sort of go out and seek out any of the back catalogue or did you just sort of, did they just sort of stick in your mind as a cool song? You know, how did you follow it up? Um, yeah, typically I, I always look up um, songs that I like in movies and, and I end up buying the albums or mm. listening to them online and, and that's, that's what happened. Mm-hmm. Look, I remember I came to him through XO, I hadn't seen Goodwill Hunting at the time, uh, and I hadn't even heard any like I hadn't heard any of the earlier independent albums like Either or or uh, Roman Candle. Um, one of our local radio stations, Three Triple R, were playing Waltz Number no. Two uh, on its breakfast show, like on high rotation. Um, my wife, who you know, left for work later than I did. Um, heard the song on the radio and phoned me up at work to uh, ask me to go out and buy the single. She'd heard the song and was completely floored by it and, and um, said, you know, she said, you will too, you'll love it too. So I went out and bought it and um, you know, got the album shortly afterwards because uh, you know, it was, yeah, it just completely knocked me out. You know, this this guy with this very breathy, gentle sort of voice and a real knack for, for a melody. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't know what you've read or not, but I know like some of the things I've seen online. There are some of the diehard fans who, you know, prefer those early albums like Either Or and tend to dismiss uh, the stuff he recorded for DreamWorks. And I, I, I sometimes wonder whether people just sort of like to just say that sort of thing just to sort of seem, you know, the cool hipster independent. I liked him. I, when I he feel released. I feel like that's the case most yeah. of the time. Yeah, I, the, for me, I I tend to like the later stuff because I like to I like listening to the progression between albums. Right. And and uh, knowing that an artist is evolving is kind of is is I guess is my thing. Like I, as long as it it's evolving, I tend to like it. As long as there's a few instances where an album comes out with us, an al- uh, a song, uh, artist comes out with an album that's drastically different that just doesn't work for me. Yeah. But typically the I don't like bands to stay the same, you know. It it, it bothers me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, look, I, I can I can see that. I mean, I know that there are, there are some bands who I think they sort of remain 
consistent and mm. I guess that doesn't bother me terribly much. But I liked so much... Um, okay, as I said, I heard either or after I'd heard EXO and Figure 8. Uh, and whilst I admired that and could see that was... Um, uh, I, I saw it more, yeah, I, I guess as a good starting base, whereas you know, EXO, uh, as we'll go into in a minute, had um, these wider sort of arrangements. And I thought, you know, <coughs> excuse me, had <coughs> the, the advantage that a, a bigger budget could bring him. It's not like he went all stadium. Uh, mm-hmm. It's not like you know, he wrote these big dumb songs all of a sudden, uh, or like the um, the stu- uh, like the uh, record company interfered. At least if they did, I can't tell it. Uh, but it allowed they him. The, they did the right thing. They, they yeah. certainly did. I think they. So we like you for what you do. We're gonna let you do that. Hey, you know, have have a uh, have a producer who can get you that sound that you want. Throw in some piano, and uh, that's the thing. I think instrumentally. Uh, the album sounds a lot more rich to me. There's, there's, uh, you know, beautiful piano. There's little bits of orchestration here and there, but not tasteless. It's all mm-hmm. done fitting in with what I'm sure would have been what he wanted. And um, I, I just think it's, uh, for me, EXO is a more lush sounding, but in a good way. Uh, you know, we're not talking about huge, heavy, tasteless Mantovani strings. We're talking about something that's just little bit thrown in here, a little bit of string here, a little bit of piano thrown in there, all very tasteful. And he's still singing about being depressed. So, I mean, you know, that's hardly big company interfering. <laughs> all right, look, let's let's start going into the songs um, themselves. So we'll start off with um, track one on the album. Uh, this is Sweet Adeline. There's a kiddo floor below me, say, brother, can you spare sunshine for a brother, old man, winners in the air. Walk me up the story, asking how you are, told me not to worry, you were just a shooting star. I love the laid approach to the performance of this. Start off, you know, he starts with a solo acoustic guitar that plays this descending staircase melody pattern. I know, like, uh, you know, you and one of you and Ricardo have often gone and spoken about liking sad songs, and my thing I, I like sad songs too, but my thing is descending chord progressions, and mm-hmm. that's why I'm a sucker for this. this and and yeah. so I love it. He starts with that solo acoustic guitar, and then he, on top of that, there's a little bit of tasteful Hammond organ, and uh, just you know for that little bit of texture. And, um, by the time we get to the middle eight, you get the full band, which I think is just Elliot, yeah. really, um, you know, where it really explodes. Um, so your your thoughts, your thoughts on this? Oh, uh, for me, the, what I what I really like is, um, in terms of the whole the whole album, not just this song, is mm. the, the transitions he makes. That it, it becomes like um, it starts, it ends 
one verse, it'll it'll end uh, kind of simply, and then bam, it goes into the chorus, and it's like you say, it's the full band. And um, right, yeah, he he does have he does have a few songs on this album, and I, I like yeah. that that he, he starts off gently, you know, right at the beginning of the album, and then just when you sort of think, right, okay, he's going to start off with a ballad, and then boom, yeah, sweet out a line, and those those harmonies, it's a full band, the piano and the the acoustic guitar, which gives it so much body, at least in his hands, um, yeah. and it, it's. But it's real. I think that it's those harmonies that make it explode. And anyone who's listened to the show before knows me. Knows I'm an absolute fanatic about uh, vocal harmonies, and he's just an absolute king of that. Actually, just sort of as an aside, I guess the other film where I, I, I guess um, I heard Elliot um, early on was uh, at the end of um, American Beauty, where he does his cover yes. of, uh, of the Beatles, uh, the Beatles song, because. And I was so blown away. Um, I thought, yeah, wow, this is... I, I read later on, you know, he lived and breathed the Beatles. And um, yeah. you know, on, on some of these songs, I can absolutely see that. But he does it I, other I, I, For that, for that uh, song, I feel like a total idiot because I'm... As, if you guys have listened to the List Music podcast, you guys know that I'm not too familiar with the Beatles. I never grew up with the Beatles like, like most other people. Right. So I heard this song and I'm like, oh my God, this song is brilliant. Elliot Smith is amazing. Yep. And turns out uh, it's not Elliot Smith. It's the Beatles. <laughs> but, I mean, I th- look, you know what? In a way, I envy you because, you know, I mean, to sort of come and watch a film like that, hear this song at the end of the film and sort of have a sense of wonder, like, because you're hearing it for the first time, um, I think that's fantastic because it is it is such an amazing, uh, beautiful song and such a uh, beautiful vocal-only arrangement for the first part of it. Uh, on that Elliot Smith version, um, mm-hmm. just to be able to hear that song under that circumstance, I think that's fantastic. I really admire or, or envy someone who um, can hear something that I've loved for years, then they can say, "I've heard this for the first time," and I think, "Wow, you've had a great experience." So, no, don't don't feel embarrassed about that. That's that's, that's, a, that's I was a I was completely yeah I was completely awestruck, and you know the movie I, I really dig the movie the movie's amazing, but that I think without that song, I probably wouldn't like the movie as much as I do <laughs> and, and that, that was a cream on the cake because that was, that was like uh, over the closing credits wasn't it yeah um just coming back to um okay so our first song sweet Adeline on this i I was um doing a little bit of reading up, and I read one person suggested that this lyric Either I don't know what came first. Either this served as inspiration for, or was inspired by, "Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind," and certainly the first couple of lines would suggest that. You know, uh, where he sings, "Cut this picture into you and me, burn it backwards into history," and you know, there's that that sort of thing. You know, with both the Jim Carrey character and the Kate Winslet character, they they've got this picture in their mind of where they've been. And they want to erase that. Uh, burn this picture. Let's pretend our relationship didn't happen. Um, yeah. And I, look, I, I just, I, I really love that. I, I, I like that comparison. Um, and I, I think there's actually it's a, a song later on in the album that also sort of made me think about that. But I'll uh, come back I, to that. I, I think that tends to be a, a, like I a lot of the times I'm looking at, at uh, forums and stuff for for certain songs and what people interpret it. And it's always it's always something to do with with eternal sunshine, but I think that the thing is that it's it's a it's kind of a universal theme that you you're in a relationship that doesn't work out well. You kind of wish it just never happened, right? You know, like that that's 
at least I've gone through that, and uh, sometimes you do wish that you could you could actually go into the machine, have your memories erased, and not even realize that you did. <laughs> but, of course, then yeah, as you're going through the process, you realize, well, hang on, some of these early memories are really quite nice. You can keep those and then realize you're still asleep and you can't do anything about it. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're kind of awake. Your, your eyes are open. You realize something's going on. Mark Ruffalo's dancing on top of you. <laughs> you well, know what to do. <laughs> <laughs> um, look, I mean, look, as you say, there are a, a lot of uh, melancholy relationship gone bad songs, but I like how you know Elliot Smith and also maybe someone like Beck approach um, those sorts of songs in a different way. I mean, I think you know the other really great relationship gone bad album is Beck's Sea Change. Um, yes, but I see maybe the difference between Sea Change and XO is that. Um, Beck's approach for the songs to a large part is oh, poor, poor, pitiful me. And I think Elliot, in a lot of cases, is a, is a lot more finger pointing and a lot more anger and a lot more depression. Um, mm-hmm. where, you know, you want to you want to take Beck home and you know and and just sort of put your arm around him and say, there, there, it'll be all right. Whereas you need Elliot, him back to health, yeah. Whereas Elliot, you just want to sort of stand back and think, you know, work it let out. Him, let him vent, yeah. <laughs> um, just, uh, just one final thing I wanted to say about this song uh, was I love how it ends. It, it's, it almost sounds like an afterthought, like that. he was just playing and he didn't quite know how to finish it. And you know, musically, it, it, it just almost stumbles to a finish, like he's run out of juice, maybe, which I can sort of see as a good metaphor for the relationship that's breaking up in the lyric. Uh, there's, you, know, you get this one explosion of sound in the middle of Sweet Adeline and then you know maybe there's some unresolved grief pouring out before the more measured measured final verse of um, yeah. acceptance, and that's it's over. It just stumbles over the line, and that's how I think the song musically yeah. ends. I, I think I think you're right that he didn't know how to end it. I feel like, um, and with a lot of his songs, I feel like he picked up the guitar and wrote the whole thing in one sitting, yes. like just riffing, and uh, what came out came out, and and it's beautiful, and and he didn't really have to do much to it to, to kind of enhance it. Right. No, it, it completely works, I think. Yeah. All right. Look, let's um, have a bit of a listen uh, to a clip from uh, the next song on the album. This is called Tomorrow, Tomorrow. Give yourself another this time make it sound like someone The noise is coming out And if it's not out now Then tomorrow, tomorrow They took your life apart And called you failures are They were wrong, though Yeah, no, I, I think uh, the song is more kind of, I think it's a continuation of the first track, Sweet Adeline, or Adeline, um, but uh, c- especially because there's actually the same lyrics and one, uh, one line of each of the songs, mm. 
it's deaf, dumb, and done. So I'm yep. I'm thinking it's a continuation of it, and uh, where he's still kind of angry, but at the end he starts realizing, all right, tomorrow's another day. There's going to be another opportunity, and you know, kind of almost going from that anger and and uh, grief to a more like closure. You know, mm-hmm. I I sort of saw this song. From from a different perspective, I didn't sort of, sort of see this song as more like um, the end of a relationship or anything like that. Um, uh, I saw this song as um, and it was a bit unusual considering like that this is only his first major label record, but um, you know he where he sings lines in it like they took your life apart and called your failures art. Um, he I sort of see this song as being a little bit about how one. Um, he doesn't feel free to create his work his way, and he feels embarrassed for having you know, given in or sold out or something like that, which just seems absolutely, as we spoke before, a bit preposterous. Um, but um, uh, what what I find interesting about this is, you know, the, the, there's the, the juxtaposition of the music having this sort of beautiful melody here, with, with, you know, which is a, across a lot of the album, um, and you know, you're you're listening to the harmonies and you're listening to the melody and the hairs in the back of your arm are standing up, and then you listen to the lyric, and he sounds so bitter. Um, you get sucked in by the beauty of the sound of this song, uh, and before you, you know, really give any thought as to what it's actually about. Um, but yeah, look, you know, you, I I do agree that you know he is saying yeah tomorrow, tomorrow is another day, um, mm-hmm. but sort of see more, as I said, about, um, I guess, people looking in on him and um, not really appreciating what uh, he had done and um, he's maybe berating himself. I, I, I can I can totally see your, your interpretation, but um, what I'm getting is like the, all those things where he's saying about the art and, and everything is kind of like the the female perspective onto him, you know, like, like okay. what was going on in the conversations. Yep. yep that's, yep. that's what I got. But I mean, that's, that's, what, that's the beauty of music. Yeah. Interpretation. Yep. I, I think from a musical perspective, um, I think that this song, like uh, a couple of other songs on this album and also on figure eight, this is his Simon and Garfunkel moment. Uh, the, the finger picking and the melody to me are pure Paul Simon. And the vocal style, the harmonizing here, purely sounds like Paul and Artie just you know, cutting out on um, on uh, one of their early one of their early songs, you know, like as almost as if they'd be influenced by um, uh, by um, oh god, it's gone out of my head, the Everly Brothers. Um, but yeah, but to I me, think it's yeah, I, I you you it, I can get it now, like you're. you're you're talking my language. Yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't think of that before. But yeah, totally. There's there's a song on my eyes to it. There's a song on uh, the Figure Eight album called "Somebody That I Used to Know." So like you know, they he had the title before Gautier did, uh, but um, a completely different song. But that also to me is another Simon and Garfunkel moment. You know, not I'm not saying every acoustic guitar folky harmony song sounds like them, but those two to me really, really do. And, um, if I were to meet someone who was a Simon and Garfunkel fan, it's would say, right, listen to this, see whether you dig this as well. And to me, yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, no, I, I yeah, love this. And, and it's 
before I started really listening into the lyrics of the album, it was the melodies that took me away, and then this song, um, yeah, just completely sold me. Really did because of that Simon and Garfunkel comparison. Cool. Mm. All right, let's uh, move on to um, the next song on the album, which is the one that um, attracted me to the to Elliot in the first place. This is Waltz Number Two. sense uh, and I, I, I have to ask does Ricardo think that a waltz is the, the, the saddest of time signatures I wouldn't know I, I, I think he thinks it's probably the last name of an actor that got nominated for an Oscar Woohoo! That, that, <laughs> that's a bingo um, <laughs> that, that uh, doesn't start in Australia for another week I'm, I'm really pissed off that uh, no oh my god we're You're missing like, we're treated like such a backwater you, know, you guys get it on Christmas well, Day and we get it like, you know. Let me torture you just by spoiling the end. Don't! Don't! No! <laughs> no! If you, tell uh, me the, if you tell me the butler did it, I'll be really pissed off. <laughs> um, it ends with credits. Oh, no! Ruined it. Oh, damn. <sighs> anyway, um, so yes, uh, Waltz is in the Johann Strauss sense, not as in the Christoph sense. Um, I, 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 love, I love this Waltz. And he starts off, you know, that basic drum pattern before his 12-string rhythm guitar comes in, you know, to add some body. Uh, and then you've got this um, uh, you know, lead guitar melody line and the piano playing the melody line. Once again, like Sweet Adeline, there's these layers, this layered approach as everything comes in slowly. And then, you know, by the end of the song, we've got this tasteful orchestration I was talking about before presenting this swirling. Uh, effect and you sort of feel dizzy. It's just absolutely beautiful, um, uh, and you know his his vocals are added. And he just sounds so um, heartbroken in this as he does in, in most of these songs. Um, Real, that's I don't know. I just before I go into the lyric, just how, how do you um, how do you approach this song? Uh, how, how, what was the first thing that you thought of when you heard this? This song is pure emotion for me. Like this is the song that that kind of just tugged at my heartstrings and not necessarily because of the lyrics or the songwriting it's just the music itself and and i guess you can just hear it in him that uh, this is the one that grabbed me i've i've read that um this was a song about elliot's observation about his mother's relationship with his stepfather 
So um, Elliot and his stepfather apparently didn't see eye to eye. And if that is what this song is documenting, then <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> uh, I think he has some serious catharsis uh, going on in this song. Uh, the part of the song where he describes his mother sounds like he believes she's not happy, truly not happy with her marriage. Now, she appears composed, so she is, I suppose. Who can really tell? She shows no emotion at all and just stares into space like a dead China doll. Mm. You, know, you can just, really, he's gone and painted this picture here. He's gone and used simple words, doesn't have to use anything fancy. He's just Every word is deliberate. Every word is... Really, you can you can just sort of see this vacant expression on her face, and she's unhappy with her life. Um, he he's, he's really chose this lyric well here. Um, yeah, uh, I mean, but she in the end she's still his mother, and despite you know whatever level of estrangement that he might feel with her, he still sings, "I'm never going to know you now, but I'm going to love you anyhow." Um, these are really, I, I imagine, these are emotions that he would have had pent up for for years and um, you know, music was his catharsis yeah I, I i feel the same way you do about what the song is about but uh i think it's it's a it's a letter to his mom about the relationship as well as like he's like giving her info on like how he's doing yes it's like okay first the mic then the half cigarette and he's singing and then and then he talks about um going uh he's where is it in a place that i make no mistakes in a place mm. where I have what it takes, you know, like he's he's out of where he came from, which is, um, I think Texas, where he's uh, where he grew up, right? And then he went to Portland, and then and then New York, and then L.A., and that's kind of where he's developing musically, at least. Yes, yes. Uh, so, uh, I I guess that's that's the other thing because we've gone, you know, we've already said um, that you know there's a lot of uh, depressing heartache sort of songs on the album, and we all know that you know he took his own life through depression and yet little lyrics like what you've gone and quoted in the place where i make no mistakes in the place where i have what it takes sounds like he wants to take control you know i believe in myself even if the man you're married to doesn't have any faith in me um yeah that's uh confusing for me because from what i've read at least it all these songs yeah they're really depressing and everything but it's a lot of it, I think, is just him working through whatever he's going through. But I don't, I, from what I read, he wasn't oh, as depressed as people made him out to be. Right. And uh, I'm not even, I'm not even 100% sure if he killed himself because how do you get two, two like wounds in your chest, you know, by your self-infliction, you know, like pretty deep wounds. I don't, it doesn't process for me. Yeah. So, so I, I don't know. Did the, did they ever sort of like? Come up with a final verdict. I mean, is it was it just sort of presumed that he killed himself, or was there like a it's it's, it's final? Pres- from what from what I've read, it's presumed, and they didn't really even look into it that deeply. So right. they just left it at that. Uh-huh. Yeah. But from what I heard, when when he supposedly killed himself, he was he was clean. He wasn't on drugs anymore. He, he didn't have any alcohol in his system, any drugs in his system when he died. He wasn't in that in that dark. I guess hole that he was in for a lot of his life when he was a lot of substance abuse and a lot of, I mean, he was with the, his girlfriend for years at this point, you know, like it wasn't like him going from relationship to relationship that didn't work out. Mm. So I, I don't know. I don't know what to think. Yeah. I, I guess it's, it's hard to really know um, what's going on under the surface 
uh, you know, some of the some of the people who we sort of think um, might might be okay, uh, and they mm-hmm. present one face to the world. It's, it's really something else. Uh, like here in here in Melbourne, um, it, it was really sad. Um, the I don't know how far back was it? Six, seven years ago, when uh, we lost uh, Paul Hester, the drummer of Crowded House, who I'd only seen uh, publicly doing a, a show called Rock Quiz um, a month before, and he'd gone and hung himself in a in a public park here in Melbourne. Uh, like he was always ever the clown, always with a smile on his face. So you know, one was never really to sort of know what was going on under the surface. But um, yeah, that's true. Mm. All right. Well, that's that's uh, this is a, this is a good start to 2013. Talking about suicides <laughs> and geez. Um, all right. Let's move on to uh, uh, the next song on the album. This is Baby Britain. Baby Britain feels the bias. I don't know. To me, this has um, a, a monkey's feel. I know that some people have gone and said that this has got a bit of a Paul McCartney feel to it, but I don't know, at least musically anyway, it, it's a sort of thing that I, I just have this picture in my head of Davy Jones doing a bit of a soft shoe shuffle and wearing one of those uh, boater hats and... and um, uh, yeah, the rest of the monkeys sort of playing behind him. It's the sort of thing I can imagine seeing on their TV show. Um, I don't know whether how much of the monkeys repertoire you're familiar with, or whether you'd watched any episodes of the TV show. But does this give you a monkeys feel, or, or not? Uh, I, I, I only I only know a little bit about the monkeys, but I yeah, it does actually. It, it's got that light, light-hearted pop rock feel. Mm-hmm. It, but so it got that old school um, uh, st- uh, stand stand-up piano. Uh, going yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, no, there's certainly no melancholy to the music, and but just when you're thinking, you know, all sunshine and roses, you get a lyric like "Baby Britain feels the best floating over a sea of vodka, separated from the rest, fights problems with bigger problems." Now I can tell you, I don't think I ever remember Davy Jones or Mickey Dolenz for that matter ever singing a lyric like that. Uh, that that's all on the. That was all unreleased. They didn't want to. They didn't want to tarnish their image. Right, of course. No, uh, although, mind you, once they got to uh, their film Head, which um, I don't know if you've watched that, but uh, they certainly uh, were, were, were uh, doing things a little bit differently to uh, how how they'd done it the first couple of albums. I think they'd been unfairly maligned, um, and later on in the year, I'll be covering a, a Monkeys album. So, um, want to convince. Uh, or maybe I'll be preaching to the choir anyway, but um, you know, the Monkees were a great band, uh, not just manufactured. But anyway, that's. But I digress. We're talking about Elliot Smith here. Um, uh, so yeah. Anyway, so your your thoughts on this? Uh, yeah, the, the, like uh, like I said, the the lyrics are or something. Um, the music is good. It's like it's um, 
I'm having a hard time articulating, but it feels so happy, and, and yet the, the lyrics are completely, like, depressing. Mm -hmm. it, it's, it's like, uh, I, I feel his pain, because I, I feel like the, uh, the, what the music, what the song is talking about is his girlfriend who, who's, has, a, clearly has a drinking problem. <laughs> yes. And her, and her drink of choice happens to be vodka. Yeah. But, but it's, there's lyrics where, where it seems like she's bringing, bringing up old arguments and old arguments and he's just trying to, trying to hold her back, you know, trying to let her deal with it and not really rushing to, to conflict, I guess. Cause, uh, let's see. We knocked an, another couple back. The dead soldiers lined up on the table, still prepared for an attack. They didn't know they'd been disabled. I feel like that's that's her the bringing up past arguments. Like the dead soldiers are like past arguments, and then she's she's ready to bring them back up, bring them back to the surface. Like if like if they're fresh. Yes. And, and he he's just kind of like, eh, that's not working for me. They're, they've been disabled, you know. Mm. Um. I was going through and analyzing all these, uh, trying to analyze all these lyrics, and my interpretation was like he's just trying to deal with it. Like he's not really the one with the problem. It's it's her bringing it all up. I was sort of wondering whether the whole drinking analogy and someone with this problem was maybe a metaphor for something else, because I was wondering, you know, baby Britain is is this um, some sort of political metaphor? But you know, I gave up thinking that makes my brain hurt. So. Um, yeah, I'm pretty happy to sort of work with with that. And yeah, I, I definitely concur with you on uh, on that one. Um, and you know, he he has he has uh, you know cutting lines there like you know for someone half as smart you'd be a work of art. You put yourself apart, and I can't help you start. So you've got this drinking problem. I can't do anything about that unless you do. Um, yeah. And then, and then where he, the line before that, uh, the verse before that, it's London Bridge is safe and sound, whereas typically it's London Bridge is falling down. <laughs> yes. Oh, wow. No, I hadn't thought of that. Yes. Excellent. <laughs> no matter how, no matter what you keep repeating, nothing's going to drag me down to death that's not worth cheating. Mm. So it's like, okay, you're expecting this, this, this tragedy to happen. And no, I'm not letting it, I'm not letting it happen. Everything's good. I'm just letting you deal with your, your, your stuff, I guess. No, no, that um, that completely works for me. I think um, I think you've hit the nail on the head with that one. And, but I, I love, and, and maybe because he's putting that spin, I'm going to help. You know, I'm going to make sure that you work out your own problems. It doesn't end up being quite a depressing lyric, more like a you know, his a self empowerment sort of song, which probably explains why he's kept the music fairly. Uh, Major key and 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 uh, up well, maybe not up tempo but mid tempo. It's no dirge, whereas in someone else's hands it could completely have been. All right, let's um, move on to uh, the next song of the album. This is Pizzola. I was 
I'm so angry I don't think it'll ever pass And I was bad news for you Just because Being the one member of my family that didn't learn Yiddish um, I have to take it on reliable authority that Pitzala means little one I know that when you, whenever you end off a word in Yiddish that ends up with ele. Um, it gives it some sort of um, uh, indication. It, it, it's an affectionate title, so you could, you know, put it on on the end of any on the end of any name. So you know, if I called you Wanala, that'd be like saying, "Oh, my little Wan." Um, Ooh, thank you for that. Yeah, you're Made welcome. Me feel a warm inside. <laughs> <laughs> That's the idea, you know. Welcome onto the show, Wanala. Um, but yeah, yeah, Pitzala, little one. Um, so this, like. Um, Tomorrow, Tomorrow, this is another song that makes me think of Simon and Garfunkel. Um, the acoustic rhythm that uh, Smith cleverly uses, once again in waltz time, just has this classic Paul Simon guitar feel, you know, circa that era, not so much like in his you know, solo days, but um, certainly via Simon and Garfunkel era. Um, and I love the, the, the notion of the, the instrumental bit in the middle he uses it plays a very simple piano melody he's not bringing in you know some fancy session pianist he's just playing what has to be done and this is something i've spoken about in a lot of love that album podcasts i i'm a huge fan of musicians who serve the song the song is king and it doesn't involve you know uh, fancy over the top million notes a minute musicianship it just involves doing what has to do to bring out the best in the lyric and the best in the melody and that's what's mm-hmm. happening with that piano bit here on on this song he's a he's a song server um, the song itself it, it, it's a bit tragic it sounds to me like it's about someone who was in a relationship but was so depressed he got out of it before he fucked it up for life uh, his partner um, and this may have been prophetic I don't know it seems that Smith, or at least his character in the song, never allowed the love of someone else to be his personal saviour, either by uncontrollable depression or, at the very least, he had a, an irrational fear of change of his circumstance, you know, um, comfort with misery or, or, you know, or that as a known quantity. Um, he sings, I'm not, I'm not what's missing from your life now. I could never be the puzzle pieces. They say that God makes problems just to see what you can stand before you do as the devil pleases and give up the thing that you love. Um, you know, relationships that have been given up on are not unique fodder uh, for song material, but I think he's really handled it beautifully and poetically here. Um, you've got to wonder if you know, these were warning signs. I know that you've already gone and said, well, you know, he, you don't, you're not convinced he's as depressed as... You know, other people made it out to be, and this is just his chance to dig out his shit. But I, I don't know. I mean, I, I just sometimes you wonder: is a song just a song that he's just sort of like telling a story, or if, is this something that he's doing about his own life? Yeah, no, I don't. I don't know. I I went way dark on this one. Okay. Like I, uh, well, I was I was stuck on the pizzola. I didn't. I I looked it up, and and I was stuck. Like, that definitely has a meaning. You know, little one. Why little one? And what I got out of it was abortion, which uh, very oh. dark. And depressing. So, so this, it, is, this is his brick. This is his brick, yes. <laughs> and and I don't know if he if 
he'd gone through that, but uh, some some of the lyrics like struck a chord with me as having to do with abortion, uh, like like uh, some of the ones you you mentioned. Let's see. Give up the thing you love, but no one deserves it. Another line is, and the bad news for you, just because I never meant to hurt you. And I just feel like like that little one kind of put my mind in in that direction, and and that's what I see now. Oh my goodness! I, 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 wow, you just when I thought we we're as depressed as we could be, you've taken it down another notch. Brilliant! Well done. <laughs> I'm glad I'm doing my part. You are doing your part, and you were nervous about coming and doing this show. No, you, you've you've just gone and contributed your your um, your two bob worth right there. <laughs> Good lord! Um, so now that we've gone and talked about depression and abortion, um, what's next? Oh, Independence Day. songs that has at least, uh, maybe, if not necessarily a bright optimistic outlook, but at least an encouraging outlook. Um, what do you, do you, do you see it like that? Oh yeah, definitely. This is, this is the song that, that to me, like kind of justified my, my, uh, thoughts on, on him being depressed. It's like, okay, yeah, sure. Everyone feels depressed and he writes a lot about it. And, and I, like I said, I felt like he was just dealing with this shit, putting it out there and, you know, dealing with it through music right and this one's like the one where you see like okay even though he's in this dark place uh, occasionally he does tend to see the light at the end of the tunnel not everything he writes is completely dark and this is the one where like yeah life is sure you know enjoy it um try to make the most of it yeah he uh, he, um, he uses the metaphor which i'm sure is not the first time it's been done but he uses the metaphor of a butterfly coming out of its cocoon to encourage someone to live at their best um but, I mean, look, you know what? It wouldn't be an Elliot Smith song if there were not some words of regret. You know, he says, you know, future butterfly, uh, spend the day higher than high. You'll be a beautiful confusion once I was you. So, um, <coughs> even, even in this song of encouragement, he still has to, um, do, be a little bit self-deprecating. He puts them up at his own expense. But mm. still, if this is as positive as he gets, well, we have to take that. <laughs> yeah. <well>. yeah. <laughs> Excuse me, I've got to edit that bit out. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, I wonder if this is his message to anyone in particular, or and if so, whether he succeeded or not. Do you know anything I, about that? I, I don't know personally, but I feel like it is. I feel like he knew someone that was going through a dark time, and uh, he was there for them and kind of wrote this song for them it seems a little little personal to me like 
I don't feel like he's the type of guy that would just write kind of an inspiring song to be inspiring. Yes. I feel like it it ha- it has a message to someone. Right. Well, how about that uh, that um that line even but even when he's trying to be inspiring to someone it still sounds like he's saying well but don't expect it to last because he he still sings everybody knows you only live a day but it's brilliant anyway. So it's almost like he said look you'll have your Andy Warhol 15 minutes. We only have that brief time or unless he's sort of saying well we only have one lifetime. So you know really enjoy that brief brilliant lifetime that you have because it, it, you have the potential to make it brilliant. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's more it's more the lifetime like live live every day like it's your last. Yes. You know, you don't, you don't have that much time. You can't just be throwing it away. No, homespun wisdom, I think. Um, all right, let's uh, go on to um, the next song. And this is, in a way, this is uh, one, maybe not my very favourite, but one of my favourite songs on the album. This is Bled White. speaking, I think this is really a perfectly crafted pop song. Um, it, it's not quite call and... Well, I guess it is sort of call and response because you hear him singing one line and it sounds like he's been recorded separately for uh, for the next. So I guess it's a bit of a call and response vocal line melodies and they're just absolutely hook-filled. Um, I love the acoustic guitar-organ combination. That really gives it a rich, warm sound. He's using a, a drummer on this. I think it might be Joey Waronka, who is also a, a drummer for Beck. Uh, he plays a very simple but very powerful accompaniment that's um, ultra-heavy on the uh, crash ride cymbal and, um, and a very tight snare drum. Uh, the harmonies on the responses to me a, a terrific you know using Elliot's very fragile breathy vocal and his uh, as well as his double tracked unison vocals which gives his voice the, just the right amount of power um, I don't know I, I struggle a little bit with some of what the lyrics are saying here so I, I might sort of you know go over to you see what what you think well I like this song and particularly the lyrics because I'm the type of person that if something's cryptic, I got to figure it out. <laughs> I, it, you know, like, <laughs> so he's mentioning like a Rose City on the 409. So I looked that up and, you know, I'm looking at all these references that he's making and I figured, okay, Rose City, that might be a real city. Mm. And I look up 409. It's an area code for, for Texas, like the area where he grew up. <laughs> so I'm, I'm guessing it's about his youth. It's, uh, right. It, you know, it, it's about, Growing up in Texas, being in, in town, it, he's saying, I don't think he likes it, but he attributes it to a growing experience. Mm. Right. Uh, I, I think that um, 
once once again, you know, I, I mean, it, it, the growing up thing, but also about him feeling very fragile, him acknowledging his depression. Um, you know, he, he sings, don't you disturb me, don't complicate my peace of mind, but he, not wanting to sort of go down too far, he sings, you know, I may not seem quite right, but I'm not fucked, not quite. So he sort of sees that, you know, I, I can dig my way out of this. Um, yeah, that, that's exactly what I, what I was thinking as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, and probably, well, I'm sure something that he wouldn't have intended and maybe not even like, but um, I don't know if you if you have uh, uh, TV ads over there for um, for cars that use music like this, but for some reason the music on this sounds like it's been appropriated for a car ad, but like the sort of four cylinder zippy in a suburban job that'll take you anywhere you want um, happily and safely. Not not a petrol head sort of car, just a real. Um, uh, zippy sort of thing going about from one end of the city to the other, and I'm I'm sure you know if Elliot was here, he'd probably you know, sort of whack me on the back of the head and say that's that's a terrible thing to say, but I don't know why. It just sounds like this music has been used in an ad like that, but yeah. I'm sure that's not what he was thinking. And you know, I can you know, I'm not going to accuse him of that. But some some I think, I think you just did. Uh, <laughs> no, no, I'm I'm what I'm saying is that there's some. Some car maker out there, or, or some ad that would think uh, it's a good agency yeah. that that you know I had good taste but didn't have the uh, decency to uh, to leave enough alone. Anyway, yeah. that, that's just me. Look, if there's any LTA listeners out there who uh, feel the same way, write me an email and you know, let me know so I, I don't feel completely out of sorts. But if you, you know, think I've overstepped the line and I possibly have, then Send me an email and let me know. Just let me. Uh, I, I'm, I'm just giving you a hard time, Morris. So yeah, you, you, you do. You, you feel free to do that. You feel free to do that. You're not coming back. Um. Anyway, uh, <laughs> no, I didn't mean that. Uh, all right. Uh, now that we've gone from car ads, let's go to the next song. Waltz number one. Fragile, and I love how he uses this um, 
snare snare uh, drum brush ride cymbal bass drum combined with piano uh, and a pluck guitar under it and with a bit of a string section really it's a beautiful effect on once again a waltz uh, have I mentioned that it's the saddest of all time signatures yet? Maybe a few thousand times. Um, and yeah, his, his voice is so fragile and just used a beautiful effect and so wispy. And there's this one part, like I think in the last minute of the song, where you just, he, he sings this thing over. Did I do that right? Uh, where you just sort of think, sounds like, he sounds like he's going to blow away. Um, and I don't know, the piano, I guess it makes me think of uh, gentle snow falling. So it might be fair to say that this is a song of regret in, and it's, it's almost as cinematic in its arrangement. I've harped yes, on. What definitely. do you think? Um, I, I, I found it hard to kind of really get into this song, only because like it, it seemed really short to me. Very powerful-wise, but just very, very brief. So I didn't really know what to make. Of, uh, of what the song really is, but yeah, you're you're totally right in that cinematic scope of it. it I can totally see that. Right. Um, it's it's uh, certainly a song of loss and regret, uh, and I can I don't know I can imagine it being played as I said you know over the soundtrack to some sad film about broken hearts. Um, if all it was was meant you know for uh, if it was a film you know. You just really wanted to give Elliot a big hug and some milk and teddy bear biscuits, I think. This is like, I guess, his Beck moment. Um, uh, I'm not necessarily that crazy about um, uh, all the lyrics. It, it almost sounds like they're written uh, as a, an awkward teenage letter to someone's girlfriend. You know, um, uh, he'd been spurned. You know, every time the day darkens down and goes away, pictures open in my head of me and you, silent and cliche, all the things we did and we didn't say. Um, I don't know, on the other hand, my, my good friend Jeff Smith would probably say you know, that my problem was that I never had my heart stomped on uh, and, and crushed and broken and put through the shredder. Uh, so, I don't know. Um, do, do these lyrics sound like teenage awkwardness to you or do they... Am I just not being sensitive enough? No, I, I think you're right because uh, I wrote a lot when I was in high school. Yes. And uh, this this looks like something I would write really <laughs> very melodramatic and, and like something you, you pick up years after you just kind of find and then you're embarrassed by how bad it like how, <laughs> how cliche and how, how like how stupid like you you must have or sad you must have felt and it was the end of the world and now you're older and you realize it's not that big a deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's, that's I think, he, he possibly sort of felt, well, hmm, these lyrics will go with this melody. I'll use this anyway. Because uh, I, I think he's sort of written about heartbreak a lot better and probably in ways that touch me a lot more. But, yeah, as I said, the start of this, I feel you know, dual feelings about it. The lyrics may be a little bit sort of awkward and teenage, but the but the music just, its arrangement really makes the hairs stand up on the back of my neck. It's just one of the, one of the most beautiful melodies and on, on the album. And this note that he sings that I won't attempt to sing again, um, but comes on late in the song. Re that brings home the heartache of this broken relationship more than I think any of the lyrics do. Just, just the sound of his fragile voice, like he really is going to fall apart. Mm -hmm. 
All right. Now, I absolutely had nothing to write about um, the next song on the album, Amity. This is the fun song for me. This is like the one where like it, it comes on a lot of the times I don't know what to listen to. So I just put my, my phone on shuffle. Right. And when this song comes up, I, I can't help but sing along. You know, it just starts off so strong. Amity, amity, amity. And uh, I, it's just fun, this one. Right. I don't, I, I, I'm not sure what it's about or, or anything, but like musically, like it cheers me up. Oh, okay. Now, I mean, probably because... Um uh, I, 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 I guess that sort of amity, 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 amity bit sort of annoyed me so much. I think this is one of those songs that I just tend to skip over. Um, maybe I should give it another go, but here I am fairly embarrassed recording this episode of the show and I have nothing to say about it apart from that's maybe the most, one of the more disposable songs for me, but um, there you go, the official thing. It's a fun song. Um, so maybe we'll move on to um, the next one, unless you have something more to add to it. Uh, uh, no, no, nothing, nothing really. Okay, all right. So we'll move on to um, the, the next song of the album, which we do have stuff to say about. This is Oh Well, Okay. I got pictures I just don't see it anymore Climbing in the List Music Podcast are fans of the Beach Boys. Unless, of course, things have changed and you haven't mentioned it on the podcast. Um, but, I, I can neither confirm nor deny that. No, I, <laughs> I, I, I'm not a fan. Okay. I don't, I well, don't know look, if anyone else has shifted their perspective on that. Look, I'd, I'd urge you to go search out a song um, that originally was written for the Smile Project and then um, when that sort of got, at least in its first lifetime, 
uh, got uh, it, it just basically died because uh, you know, Brian Wilson was having having all sorts of issues and playing in the sandbox and doing all sorts of crazy things. But a lot of the songs in one guise or another finished or half finished ended up on other projects. And the song that uh, from that album that really always did it for me and ended up being the title song of its own album was called Surf's Up. I'd urge you to go listen to that song. Um, and the reason being is when I hear the start of Oh Well Okay, it reminded me musically of Surf's Up. And I, I think I'd be quite confident in saying that Smith would have been a Beach Boys fan and certainly a, a, a Brian Wilson fan of that era of Beach Boys. Uh, the, the, the piano, the, 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 the chord progression, um, the repeated chord progression that he does follows very much in the surf's up vein. And that's not meant to say that he's ripping them off, far from it. But um, I think he was certainly inspired by that song when writing this one. Um, the piano, just it just has the same feel. And there's this you know, beautiful double-tracked unison voice uh, on two of the verses and harmonies on the last verse that really reminds me of Carl Wilson uh, and the beautiful slide Dobro style, a uh, slide Dobro solo uh, after uh, the second voice. It really just completely does it for me. It's just so beautiful. And it's got this simple backing of a cello in the latter part of the song. Um, it just it all ran once again, tasteful arrangement, only what's needed there um, before you know, we sort of talk about the lyric uh, musically what is this does this do it for you oh uh, yeah I, I totally dig this one but i like i said i don't i don't really like the beach boys and i'm gonna i'm gonna take your word for it i'm gonna look it up the surf's up song but surf's with up, a name yep. like surf's up it, it's off it's off-putting to me well, like i don't know just see that's the thing the, the i think that's is... what that's what it is with the beach boys it, you see, that's that's the thing. That's where this song it should have been called something else because it's nothing about surfing. Um, in fact, uh, Brian Wilson had yeah. worked with a guy called Van Dyke Parks for the lyrics on this song, and you know, there's really this is probably like from Pet Sounds on. You know, he wanted to do something that was not about uh, surfing and cars and girls, and um, you know what he started with Pet Sounds. He sort of really took to a different extreme on on um, smile. A lot of the lyrics are uh, fairly, maybe yeah, in some cases fairly obscure, uh, and just that that'd be an interpreter's dream. It's nothing straightforward, and this song is not about surfing. And I think if anything will convince you of uh, the Beach Boys' genius, or at least that you know they weren't a band that only did songs about um, cars and girls and the surf, this is it. Uh, ironically, a song called Surf's Up, but yeah, search it out. Um, but you know, taking away the yeah, Beach Boys yeah. comparison, musically, sort of in its own right, how do you, uh, does this do it for you? Uh, yeah, I, I, uh, like I said, I don't, I don't really have much to, to say as in, um, in terms of like the music, but then I like so, it. So, I, so, I so really... lyric, where, lyrically, where do you take it? Lyrically, I, I feel like this is a this is a, a song, not a breakup song, but like a song about falling out of love. You know, it's it's where the end of the relationship, where you're realizing like that things are gonna end and fairly quickly. 
Right. And that's what I'm getting out of it. I don't know. What What about you? Well, look, you know, this is, I, I see it the same way. Um, I'd gone and made a note here that this song, uh, it's, it's about depression leading to bad days in a relationship. But um, uh, I, I don't know. I've, I've gone and made a note that this might have been something eternal sunshine about this as well. But I guess there's not so much here about wanting to hang on to the good days like like uh, you know, Jim Carrey does in that film. So I'm not really sure why I made that note. But yeah, certainly I, in, in this song, two things I guess I'd say is one, he, he, he's pointing to the other party as being the one who you know, maybe spoiled the relationship. You know, he's saying, here's a silhouette, the face that always turned away, the bleeding colour gone to black dying like a day. Couldn't figure out what made you so unhappy. Although he acknowledges there were other problems. He says, I got pictures, I just don't see it anymore. So I guess maybe that's why I made the Eternal Sunshine reference. So he's, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> he's um, looking back at those pictures in a way and he just doesn't see what, uh, how it went wrong. But he's not sort of like looking back to take it back to that time. Um, yeah. But well, it's, and it, the next line, oh, yeah, go on. Oh, no, the like the next line is saying climbing hour upon hour through the total bore. It's like you know, like it's there's nothing where you're kind of reflecting back on the good times. It's just kind of like, oh, it's it's I'm bored. I and either I'm bored or you're bored, but uh, it's time to well, call it quits. Well, you get it in the title of the song. Oh well, okay. He's being he's just it's, it's just another frivolous thing. It's yeah. Well, it's no big deal. I'm not gonna rip my heart out and throw myself under a car it's, oh well the relationship's over well it went bad well you know it was your fault uh, I don't know why you're so unhappy well oh well okay that's it that's that's the end of it um, but you know, however ambivalent he is about the relationship he uh, he's uh, once again though he comes up with a with a heartbreaking melody even if he isn't heartbroken the the, the, the melody itself just really sort of walks all over me. Uh, I, I really imagine Ricardo would have thrived on, on this one because it just sounds so sad. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he would. Yeah. All right. Uh, we'll go to the uh, next song. Uh, this is Bottle Up and Explode. Bottle up and explode Over and over Keep the trouble Making the This song, it's uh, it's a beautiful song. It, it, again, it doesn't start off too slow. It just basically like it thrusts you into it. Um, and it's a, for me, it's about self reflection and, and almost like a bipolar thing going on. Uh, it's just right. It, it's it's a lot of like, oh, you do this, but it turn, turns out it's me, and and like it's like looking in a mirror and not seeing the same person, not seeing the person you're expecting, which is yourself. You're seeing someone else. And, yeah. 
that's that's what I'm getting yeah. from it. What, what about yeah. you? I, I was thinking that this song is also he's writing about his mother here. Um, what is he? He sings. Um, you look at him like you've never known him, but I know for a fact that you have. The last time you cried, who do you think that was inside? So, you know, he's um once again he's he's singing about uh someone who's put themselves on a destructive path, um. But you know, there's there's no confusion here. He he acknowledges the uh, the outcome will be unpleasant, and we got this contradiction in the title: bottle up and explode. So yeah, I I, I think it's good. Your, you know, your bipolar reference. You know, he's he, he, part of you takes that time where you you hold it in, and then later on, just when you can't contain it anymore, you throw it out there. So um, yeah, I completely um, can see that that reference. But yeah, I yeah. sort of see this as a uh, you know, as a song to his mother. Um, that, that that actually makes sense to me. Like uh, another line, uh, the thing Mother Nature provides to get up and go. Mm. Like the Mother Nature thing. Oh, that that kind of makes sense. Mm, mm. Uh, musically, I think this is probably as energetic as um, as you know, Elliot gets on this album. Anyway, um, it, it's a fairly standard structure to the song. Not necessarily my favorite of his melodies, but um, I do like uh, there's like a, a a section which I'm not quite sure if it's a mellotron or a string section. I think it's a mellotron, and mellotron's one of my favourite instruments, uh, and it, which sort of gives it a bit of a early seventies feel. Um, and uh, what's with that saxophone noodling at the end? <laughs> I, I didn't even think of that. I didn't. That's that's just one of the most bizarre things. You think the song's over, and then it's almost like, hey, here's a saxophone. I'm just going to noodle for it for about three or four seconds and. Hey, I'm going to stick this on at the end of a song. Um, very, very strange. I think but, he brought on Kenny G on that one. Oh, please! No, really, <laughs> no mention of Kenny G on this show. You know, we, we can't we can't have that. You know, I, I think of Kenny G. I think of uh, of Garth in Wayne's World too, sitting in a dentist chair having his teeth removed. <laughs> without, without I was I was, I was actually going to suggest the Kenny G, you know, theme for for this uh podcast before uh, before we settled on Elliot Smith. So, I I'm, I'm uh, kind of glad I didn't. You probably would have not had me on. No, I I I think you're right there. I definitely can interpret that one correctly. I wouldn't have had you on and thank goodness that we agreed on um, we agreed on Elliot Smith. So, you know, don't come back to Kenny G. That would be a <laughs> This is this is supposed to be in a cool hipsters podcast, <laughs> Kenny G. So yeah. Hey, if it's hipster, it's got to be ironic, right? Uh, exactly. Ah, oh, so we can talk about Kenny G. Well, there you go. <laughs> no, I don't think so. Listen, I, I I I've seen the light with Bert Bacharach. I'll give you that, but Kenny G. For you. Um. All right, let's uh, move on. Uh, we're we're in the home stretch of uh, of the album. The next song is called A Question Mark. I got a question mark You gotta need to always take some shot in the dark I don't have to make pretend the pitch I'm in is totally clear you think that all things have a way they ought to appear Cause you know, 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 you know. 
this is interesting because even though I guess Elliot really wrote very, very personal songs, this to me can be interpreted on a wider scale. Um, I mean, I guess that's the beauty of film or books or songs, that as long as you can sort of justify it in some way, you can interpret a song any way you like. And I see, I guess there's you know, a bit of a larger political, social level going on here, um, regardless of whether it was his intention. So in this song, um, you know, the, the listener is telling someone, maybe his own conscious, that he understands their lingering doubts or their concerns over something, but that person is forever taking shots in the dark. That is, when in doubt, presume guilt and take action. Um, you know, you can assume that some friend has betrayed you due to some circumstantial evidence, but why wait for proof when you can just hate their guts based on some sort of imagined perceptions? And isn't that what politics is all about? Um, but then again, you know, Elliot didn't write larger scale songs. So I don't know, maybe that's not what his intention was, but I don't know. What do I, you think? I, wow, you kind of opened my eyes to that one. I, I was not thinking that at all. I, I, it's an argument song, sure, and where it's going, going back and forth, and you know, it's your fault that that you that I hate you now, you know, like. Uh, right. But what you came up with is kind of, I don't know. It's opening my mind. It's kind of blowing my mind in a way. That, <laughs> well, he, he, like, he sings, now I got to think about it differently. <laughs> he thinks oh, panic called you out and took you in giving you an easy game and letting you win, giving back a little hatred now to the world because it treated you bad because you couldn't keep the unknown from making you mad. And that's, yeah, that's personal, but that's also very wide-scale politics. Uh, and, you know, we've been seeing this, you know, <laughs> really, you know, this, is what, this is what the world is all about. You know, every, uh, every nation finds some, some reason to hate some other nation or, or, or some other political entity, or, or you know, some other uh, uh, ideological belief. So I, I really do see wider implications for this than, uh, than just that. But you know, whether whether Elliot um, intended that or not, don't know. But um, uh, I, I remember once meeting um, this this guy. He was like a, a film lecturer at uh, the university that I went to, and he he was talking about. Uh, some particular film to one of his students and they said, well, how do you know that that's what Alfred Hitchcock meant? And he said, I don't, I never met the guy. Um, this is just, but this is what you know, film interpretation is about. You know, as long as you can justify it, then, then uh, your, your interpretation is, uh, is valid as anything that, um, that Hitchcock or any other filmmaker had, had intended for it. So um, that's why I'm running yeah. with that interpretation for this song. No, I like it. I, I, I'm kind of agreeing with you now. Oh. Now that I'm, I'm, it's a different. I'm looking at it through a different uh, prism now. Good, well done. <laughs> Mission accomplished. Um, musical, I, I guess, it has a bit of a, a, a funky not, uh, feel, like in a sort of '90s indie sort of way. You know, Hammond organ included. Um, yeah, musically, is this one that does it for you too? Um, this is musically. I this is one of my least favorite songs on on the album. Mm-hmm. Um, but. Again, even even his worst song on the album is pretty good. Oh, still streets ahead of others for sure. Yeah, so um, I I I don't know how to really interpret musically this one because it, it never really did anything for me. I never really started thinking about it until 
I had to do research for this podcast. So. I, look, I, I think he takes an interesting approach <clears throat> in that um, you sort of get the impression that it's going to be all just him and acoustic guitar like he might have done in his early days uh, or like he does on some of the officially released demos. Um, and then halfway through the song, he says, right, I've sung everything I have to sing about this. Now I'm going to let the music take over for me. And all the anger that he's given in the lyrics... Uh, in the first half of the song, I think that the second half of the song where the full band is playing uh, mm-hmm. sounds really, really angry. He, he's not getting angry musically from the start. It's like he's done this his anger thing with words and, and an acoustic guitar thing. Right now, the music's going to get angry. And I, I found that really quite interesting. If he'd done that like too often, it might not be so much. But um, I really like it that he did it for this song in particular. Okay. I can see that. Mm. All right. Now, um, I've decided not just for the not just by virtue of the fact that um, the word understand is in both titles, but I've found some like thematic links. We'll cover both songs. Um, there, there are two more songs on the album. We'll cover them both in the one hit. So um, we'll hear a little bit from uh, "Everybody Cares, Everybody Understands," and then a little bit from "I Didn't Understand." Here I lay dreaming, looking at the brilliant sun. Rain is cutting light on everyone You say you mean well You don't know what you mean Fucking oughta stay the hell away From things you know nothing about I know superficially the common element is the word understand being in the title, but when you listen to the lyrics of both of these songs, I see that there are thematic similarities. Uh, I, I could start off with you know, saying both songs are really bitter, but that wouldn't differentiate from you know, many other songs on the album, or indeed a lot of other songs in Elliot Smith's repertoire. So there are other things going on here. Everybody cares, everybody understands. 
on a broad basis, I think, is about his perception of the fallout of celebrity. Um, I didn't understand, continues that theme, although it can be interpreted on a more personal level, about the fallout of a relationship. Uh, to me, though, it's perfectly reads about the bitterness that an artist can feel after having had his Andy Warhol 15 minutes. Um, I'll come to that in a bit, but do you see this as a bit of a tirade on celebrity? Yeah, uh, for Everybody Cares, Everybody Understands, definitely about celebrity. And uh, I didn't understand. I took it more of a personal relationship type of song. Right. But um, for me, this is the song that I was telling you about, like where where everyone assumes that Elliot Smith was this deeply depressed person with a bunch of troubles. And this is a song that, that to me, at least he's telling me, he's like, okay, everyone thinks they understand. Everyone, it, the, there's a line, uh, it's a, to appear synthetic sympathy that infuriates you totally. It's like, I think he thinks that people are misinterpreting his lyrics and being, giving him sympathy for something that he doesn't really need. Right. You know? Right. I guess, yeah, okay, so, you know, you get, um, he's probably seeing like people in the media and the hangers on and, and people who make podcasts that interpret his songs. Hey, what, what, oh, no. um, you know, everyone claims to, uh, understand his songs or, give a shit about who he is because, you know, he's in the public eye. But, you know, you're right. You, you may not be d as depressed as, um, as uh, you know, some of these songs appear to be on the surface. But, I don't know, I, I sometimes, I guess I have a bit of a problem with uh, songwriters who may write a song that, that sort of chastises their audience in a way. I mean, he, I, I, I acknowledge that certainly um, some people take it things a, a bit over the line, but if you have no ambition or desire to have the public claim to understand what makes you tick, then possibly you shouldn't be moving out of the bedroom because, you know, like I'm sure Elliot himself would have uh, listened to his favourite songwriters and had his own take on what they were doing and had an interest in know, their history as well. So he possibly should have expected that people were going to do that take on, on him as well. But I can sort of see where if he felt probably pushed too far um, and people were sort of going way overboard with interpretation of his life and his songs and saying that he was mm -hmm. depressed when he wasn't really that depressed, I could see where he would feel the need to come up with some response. Yeah, I feel like this This is the song where, where he's kind of giving the audience a piece of his mind on what's really going on with uh in terms of his relationship with with his audience yeah yeah um but yeah you know, he, he um but you know there's i guess you know a lot of his songs you know we come up with they're open to interpretation but in this song he wants to make no mistake he wants to make sure you understand it with that line fucking ought to stay the hell away from things you know nothing about I don't know. I'm hoping that's not a message to this podcast, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's not like he's going to complain. No, no, no. Yeah, well, no, he, he's, he's, he's not. But then again, he may be in some different place, looking down and thinking, "I want to come back to Earth. I want to. I want to. I want to give those fuckers a piece of my mind." But anyway, <laughs> um, but yeah, look, still he, he, he's making no mistake. I, I actually discussed with uh, with VK when we were talking about um, uh, a Sting album. And there was a song called um, Still Know Nothing About Me. 
and he took a more of a humorous approach. Um, but I guess I don't know whether uh, humor was ever Elliot's forte. You know, I, I can't imagine Sting having sung, you know, "Stay the Stay out of my face." Um, but um, yeah, he, he there, there's no chance that he's going to um, leave you guessing as to what he's thinking. There is he. I didn't understand though. It reads to me as the fallout at the end of those 15 minutes of fame. Um, thought you'd uh, be looking for the next uh, in line to, to love, then ignore, put out and put away. And so you'd be leaving me alone like I'm supposed to be. So, yes, that can be very much about a relationship. But, you know, um, it's like, okay, you've listened to me, you've loved my songs, uh, now desert me and go and listen to the next person in line. Um, I think that this is personally a, a song that um, really everyone on uh, American Idol or Australian Idol or, or Justin Bieber uh, ought to be made to listen to. Um, you know, enjoy your 15 minutes while it's there because the next crooner in line is um, coming along uh, to take your place. Once again, you're opening my eyes to this this interpretation, and, and I'm liking it. Um, yeah, I, I see that now. But uh, originally, yeah, I, I did think it was about a, a kind of a woman just kind of using him and throwing him away. But what you're saying is, if if these two songs correlate with each other, I think it's no coincidence that one follows the other. Um, and the uh, the other thing that uh, I, I guess I haven't mentioned yet is um, uh, this is all a cappella. Uh, and I mean, you know, being a singer in an a cappella group, I always sort of turn my head towards that sort of stuff. Uh, but what I really love about it is, um, it's not perfect. It's, it's breathy. You can hear moments where his voice flutters a bit. And I like that. I know that, uh, a lot of the a cappella scene, I mean, you, I've seen one or two episodes through alternative means because it's not officially available here of, um, that uh, American show, the sing out, uh, the sing off, um, and all those groups are about getting everything. I, absolutely, I, I wouldn't know. If it's, um, if it's over here. Oh, it, it's um. So it's a a show that I guess is a bit like uh, Idol, or, or but it's all about just a cappella groups, um, and it, you know, that, so you have your judges and uh, who will sort of give their um, uh, give their thoughts on each one of the. Performances. I, from what I understand, it's a, a lot less harsh than than Idol, or a lot less um, uh, trying to hang shit on on uh, what the, what the performers are doing. And so, uh, I know Ben Folds had um, a very strong part in uh, being a, a, a judge on this show. Ben Folds has certainly done a lot to uh, promote a cappella, and you know, my, I, I salute him for it. But what I from what I saw in a couple of episodes, it just seemed like these these artists were about getting everything pitch perfect and uh, you know, like current style acapella is a lot different to um, what well certainly a lot different from what it was 50 years ago with doo-wop and you know, never mind even a lot different from what it was in in the 80s which is when I first heard it growing up um, but yeah now everything it, it's, it's got to be pitch perfect and, and to me it just sort of seems not everything obviously but a lot of it seems a little bit soulless and there's, you know, really soulless is the last word I'd use to define. Um, I, I didn't understand. Um, it's, it's fragile. It's not completely 
perfect. He, he, he wavers a little bit, and I find that really endearing uh, on this. And he just, once again, the, the, the word fragile keeps coming back to me when I describe Definitely. any song on this album. And it's, it's certainly, certainly um, a, a great way to end off the album. Yeah, and and uh, the acapella thing, like you, I'm not a, I'm not big on acapella, but you don't even realize that he's ca- he's carrying the song with purely his voice, and and that that like uh, was because the the cover because was also acapella, right? Uh, it was. I think the first half was acapella, and then the rest of it he had um, he had uh, something sounding like a sitar, it wasn't a sitar or guitar. That it was going through an effects box sounding like a sitar uh, for the second half, but yeah, it was done half a cappella. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm trying to I'm trying to remember in detail, but mm. uh, yeah, the, the fact that he carries a song and like I said, you're blowing my mind with your interpretations <laughs> of these things. I've, uh, got, I've got too much time on my hands. I think <laughs> it's a good thing though. It's a, I I definitely have to listen to it again and listen through it listen to it through through kind of. Your ears, you know, like uh, your your version of it, and and see what makes sense for for example, this one makes sense to me as well as uh, what was the other one? Oh well, okay, I think it was. Yes, yes, I remember. Those two are the ones that you kind of blew my mind ah, on good. interpretation. So yeah. that's that's a good thing. Fantastic, woohoo! Then mission accomplished. Um, all right, I think well we've gone and covered um all the songs on the album. So what we'll do now is um. Uh, cut over to uh, my good friend Eric Peterson, aka Eric Reanimator, uh, to talk about uh, the Mark Lanigan album, Whiskey for the Holy Ghost, Eric's first segment for Love That Album for 2013. And then um, we'll come back after his segment to uh, wrap up. You're listening to Love That Album with Morrison Wine. And uh, here's Eric. Take it away, Eric, the orchestra leader. I want two, I want two, G4. Now it's time for an album I love with Eric Reanimator. A la dee dee, a one, two, three, Eric the Reanimator. that album listeners out there. Eric Reanimator back with another album that I love this time around. Mark Lanigan and his 1994 album Whiskey for the Holy Ghost. Now maybe I've been listening to too much of the List Music Podcast because I started off with a cheat. Lanigan on lead vocals giving us his take on the classic traditional song known under the name In the Pines and also known as Where Did You Sleep Last Night. In the background, if you listen closely on the choruses, you can hear 
one Kurt Cobain singing back up on the song. The reason I'm starting with that cover is not only because it's a neat little piece of trivia, but because the 1990 album The Winding Sheet very much is the dry run for Whiskey for the Holy Ghost. A mix of roots rock, country, blues, folk. The last thing in the world you would expect the frontman for a grunge band to record and release in 1994. But then again, Lanigan has never been the typical grunge frontman. And that might be why he continues to work to this day, and his voice can be heard in everything from stoner rock of Queens of the Stone Age to working with Isabella Campbell of Bell and Sebastian and Greg Dooley of the Afghan Wigs. On his own, he's released several solo albums, including 2012's Blues Funeral. Let's take a step back and check out Whiskey for the Holy Ghost. for the first time in several years, one of the things that strikes me is the delicate pop sensibility that underlies so many of the songs. And yet I'm reminded that if Lanigan really had wanted to, he probably could have gone to Nashville and had a nice little career as a balladeer. The album was recorded during some real high points and low points of his life, and seeing his musical community explode onto the world scene and then maybe haven't been the last person to see Kurt Cobain alive, and maybe even haven't been the person to give him that shotgun. Definitely weighed heavily on Lanigan. Whiskey for the Holy Ghost stands up as one of the really overlooked albums of that era. It's worth checking out and rediscovering. I'm going to leave now with my favorite song off the album. This is House A Home. Enjoy, and I'll catch you all on the flip side. 
are at the top of the tower Could a body take that much? Gone through every waking hour Sleep without nobody to touch Thanks very much for that, Eric, for uh, another wonderful An Album I Love segment. Welcome back to the show for 2013, and I look forward to uh, playing a whole lot more segments on Love That Album in 2013. Um, check out what uh, Eric will have for us in a couple of weeks, and um, I'll talk about the uh, the next program coming up in, um, uh, in just a few minutes. So... Um, uh, what I like to do at this point is read what I will call the podcast role of honour. Uh, other podcasters who I've had some contact with or I enjoy what they do. Um, so locally, uh, Mr. Terry Frost's shows, he has two of them, count them, Paleo Cinema and the Martian Drive-In Podcast. Uh, my good friends Zom and Loaf at Silver and Gold, I believe that Tom Waits has been hanging out at uh, the Silver and Gold podcast, as well as Billy Stallone. So check them out. The GGTMC, Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Sim- Cinema, with uh, Sammy and Will. Mondo Film Podcast, hosted by Justin Bozung. I believe he's going to have a really interesting roundtable series coming up, talking about uh, Francis Ford Coppola, and um, if he has even half the people turn up who um, he uh, has stated that uh, he's... Um, uh, tempted to come on the show. It's going to be absolutely fantastic. Really looking forward to that. Good one, Justin. Looking forward to that. Uh, Better in the Dark, hosted by Thomas DJ and Derek Ferguson out of New Jersey. Uh, the Well, I was going to call it the List Film Podcast, but it's not called the List Film Podcast anymore. It's the Film Podcast, isn't it? What, what happened? Why did they, they cross the list out of, uh, um, out of the name? I, I think what was going on is that the... They ran out of lists. No, <laughs> they they wanted a, they wanted a more broad approach to the podcast, and they didn't want to get tied down to a list because sometimes you know they see movies that they just want to talk about just right. one movie or you know do do the thing that you're doing, but with movies, right? Or you know, kind of stray away a little bit from from the list. Fair enough. Do you ever see that becoming a day where you call your show the music podcast? Uh, I don't know. Uh, kind of the uh, Ricardo's the one that takes care of that. I'm just along for the ride. <laughs> All right, so while we're at it, uh, actually, no, we'll come to uh, that in a minute. So the other film podcast, a, a recent one that I've just gotten into called Talk Without Rhythm. Um, and uh, yeah, I quite enjoy that one. So search those guys out. They recently did a month-long series covering all the Tarantino films in a lead-up to uh, Django Unchained being released. And I'm not going to listen to that show until after I've seen it because I'm sure 
it's full of spoilers because basically those guys, their uh, philosophy is if you haven't seen it, fuck you, um, which is very nice and charitable of them. Um, but despite that, I recommend their show, Talk Without Rhythm. Uh, so of the music podcasts that um, uh, that I love to uh, uh, give a bit of a plug to, the List Music Podcast hosted by these guys, Ricardo, VK, Jenny and Juan, you know those guys? Uh, never heard of them. Never heard. Yeah, neither have I. Um, the all-time top ten podcast with Ben Eisen, and he does, I, I guess, uh, uh, well, it's not similar in the way how I do this show, but similar in the fact that he has a rotating series of co-presenters. But uh, like the List Music podcast, he likes to do lists, and every show will have a uh, different topic, a different theme. And um, I really quite enjoyed that one. Uh, I've done one show with Ben and we'll be doing another one in March. I don't want to give that away because I, I know that he's going to have a theme in March and Ben might not be ready to give the theme away. But suffice to say, I'm very much looking forward to doing um, a show in March with Ben on the all-time top 10. And uh, please can you let Ricardo know that I'm also very much looking forward to um, being invited <coughs> coming back to the list music podcast sometime but no any get... any time you just you say when and we'll we'll have you on uh, any time sounds good uh, sitting in a bar in adelaide with uh, michael persh and um i was in adelaide very recently on my summer holiday drove all the way to um, kangaroo island and to uh, adelaide and had the good fortune to meet up with michael we've only been in each other's company twice once when he came to melbourne and Wants me going to uh, visit him and his lovely wife, Sue. They uh, looked after my family beautifully. We had a lovely lunch, and uh, it was just great to uh, be sitting in in his bar in Adelaide, getting to see uh, the studios there. And uh, I look forward to um, doing another Love That album with Michael sometime soon. We've been talking for a while about covering the Richard Clapton album, The Great Escape, classic Australian album from the early 80s. So uh, that will probably be the next show that the two of us do. Uh, and the final show I think I want to mention um, is a, a show I only discovered about four or five weeks ago, but it's magnificent. This is called Soda Jerker on Songwriting. Now, Soda Jerker are these two guys from Liverpool, Simon and Brian. And I don't know how they do it, but they basically every show they pick a great songwriter or a classic songwriting team and they interview them about how they came about uh, writing the songs that they've done and we're not just talking about you know local songwriters although I'm sure that would be wonderful too but they pick really really big songwriters so um, I think the latest one that they're, they're going to be speaking to is Carol Bayer Sager. They spoke to all of Ben Folds 5 recently, which is the show that where I first paid attention to them. They spoke to Andy Partridge of XTC. Uh, they spoke to... Um, oh, no, I'm going to get this wrong. Not, not Libra and Stoller. They spoke to... Um, Ah, oh, Brill Building. Oh, I'm, look, I'm, look, I'm losing my mind. Anyway, they, they've spoken to some really fantastic... Songwriters uh, of you know very well known high vintage, uh, and their shows have always been fascinating. You get a really good idea into how all these people came up with um, with their ideas and, uh, and and their arrangements. Absolutely fascinating show that they've put together. 
So I, I heard a couple of their shows, got in contact with them and had to invite them to come and do a Love That Album with me. So they're joining me. I'm very excited for the next Love That Album program. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, the great album from 1968 by the group The Zombies, their album Odyssey and Oracle. I already have written about them on my blog, but the blog was sort of like the forerunner to the podcast, so I think it's about time that we actually spoke about The Zombies. So um, Simon and Brian, who are both, they're actually songwriters themselves, and I think that's what their living is. They, they, they are performers, but they also write songs for other people. Um, so I would be fascinated to get their perspective on this. This is what they do for a living. So I'm almost a little bit nervous um, just to think, you know, how they're, they're probably going to approach it in a far more professional manner than I ever could. But um, I'm, I consider that a challenge and I think it'll be a great show. Uh, but if in the meantime you want to search out their podcast, it's called Soda Jerker on Songwriting and I can't recommend them highly enough. Great show. Uh, Simon and Brian uh, hosting that. So um, that's covered my side. Now, Juan, any um, podcasts that you want to give a bit of a plug to or, or shows uh, yeah, that you've been listening one, to? One of the, the ones that uh, we always plug on, on the List Music podcast, um, it is the Inside Outcast with uh, Evil Dave and Dr. Brandy Sexy Voice. Indeed. Um, they talk about literally everything, and that's what's, that's what's good about it. Sometimes, you know, they, they, I don't agree with them, with uh um the avengers <laughs> and uh <laughs> but uh they talk about movies music uh games technology everything you know they they go into they go into depth on uh they they teach you about dubstep and you know all these different things that you wouldn't normally hear unless right. you're searching it out so that's that's the beauty of of their podcast um that's uh, I guess that's the one I I uh, I want to plug yeah no look uh, evil dave sent in some uh, feedback to uh, the final uh, Love That Album of 2012, giving his uh, top uh, five uh, albums for the year. Was it even top ten? I can't remember. Uh, so I was highly appreciative of that. And he had um, uh, some uh, some interesting choices in there, um, a few things which I hadn't heard of and maybe weren't necessarily all my cup of tea. I think probably the one album, but there were certainly some things in there which I thought, oh, I like that. I like that choice. In fact, I think the only one, Maybe that I'd heard of was uh, was Gaultier because uh, well, um, Wally DeBacker is a hometown boy, um, and, and I guess as well because he's exploded all over the world. But um, uh, anyway, so uh, yeah, thanks very much, Evil Dave, for uh, putting that in. And uh, yes, listen to um, uh, the Inside Outcast hosted by Evil Dave and Doctor Brandy Sexy Voice. Do you think Sexy Voice is really her name? I think it's her legal name, yes. Oh, right, of the uh, Los Angeles sexy voices. <laughs> right. I'd have to look that up to make sure, but yeah, I'm pretty sure. Uh, so anything else, any projects you want to talk about? Uh, Anyone else you want to give a shout-out? No, 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 I don't want to do a lot of self-promotion. Listen to my podcast, uh, which I'm a part of. It is the List Music Podcast, which Morris already mentioned. And... Uh, the, yeah, URL, us- the URL for that is uh, the list music. Po- so we include the in the title, thelistmusicpodcast.com. Or you can find it in uh, iTunes, just typing in uh, the list music podcast. Yes, you can also find us on Twitter at the list music pod. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Juan Jose DLC. And list, if you follow me on Twitter, 
the really the only things I post are the hilarious things that my girlfriend says. Oh, so ex- at least give us an example. What what's, oh, what's Jess been saying today? Uh, let me let me look back at my Twitter account and uh, give me one second. She I I don't know if other people consider them funny, but they are <laughs> hilarious to me. Like she said, and she doesn't say I'm meaning to um, be funny. That's that's what you know makes it funnier. But let's see. Uh, okay, this is the last one that I posted uh, like twelve days ago. Was uh, Jess sums up life of Pi? It's like Castaway, but the volleyball is a tiger. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, I only just saw that. I'd I'd, I'd go along with that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, that, did did she like it? She liked it, and I and I liked that as well. It just the uh, uh, she I guess she thought it was like Castaway. Yes, yes, indeed. So. <laughs> as long as she didn't compare it to Gilligan's Island, that would have been truly disastrous. <laughs> all right, um, all right. So I think probably the last thing I should make mention of is uh, how you find my show. I mean, obviously you've got some way to find it because you're listening to it, right? But there are other ways, so you can um, uh, find. Uh, the show, either download it from the website lovethatalbum.blogspot.com or you can find it on iTunes. Now, I'd always been mistakenly telling people that you had to type in love that album as one word. And for a time that was true. But someone pointed out to me, no, if you type love that album as three words, you, you will still get it. So type it as one word, type it as three words into iTunes, doesn't matter. Uh, you'll still find uh, previous episodes of Love That Album. And in the latter part of last year, uh, I decided, because other shows were doing it, well, I decided to go along and do it too, affiliate my program with Stitcher Radio. So if you don't want to sort of like download through iTunes, you just want to play it while on the run through your phone or, or iPad or whatever other device or, or your um, Android or whatever it is that you've got, you just can um, uh, download the uh, app uh, from Stitcher.com and do a search for Love That Album in there, and um, any time a new episode comes up, you can listen through there. Now, the List Music podcast is going through Stitcher as well, isn't it? Uh, I believe so, yes. Mm. So, uh, another interesting, wonderful way to listen to it. Technology, got to love it. Uh, and I think that's pretty much it. If you want to send me an email uh, to give some feedback on the show, or make a suggestion for an album I ought to cover, or just tell me anything musically that's of interest to you, then please do send an email to rrrkitchen at yahoo.com.au or you can join the Facebook group. Uh, just go facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash love that album. And you know, once you join the group, feel free to uh, talk about anything musically related that you like. doesn't have to be rock. You can talk about classical. You can talk about techno. You can talk about the blues. You can talk about whatever. It just as long as it's remotely music related, um, then that'll be fine. There's a lot of friendly people at the group who'll, um, who'll join in the conversation with you. It'll be great. So um, please join. I'd like to have you know, a few more members joining up. We've got a very reasonably healthy group there going there, but um, you know, more people. Uh, joining the conversation is always a pleasant thing. I think that's it. I think we've gone and um, covered all the uh, housekeeping stuff. So at this stage, I think um, we'll say farewell for um, another Love That Album. Um, I'm going to close off the show. I decided to um, make a bit of a a theme for the program. 
Uh, I was going to make it as an opening theme, but I've um, gone and uh, I might make it just as a one-off closing theme and give us some feedback whether you think it's shit or not, and I'll decide whether I keep on with it or not, and might even put it at the start of the show. But I'll play this as the closing theme for this uh, particular edition of the program, and um, we'll speak to you in a couple of weeks with the guys from Soda Jerker. One, thank you so much for joining me on this episode. Oh, yeah, thank you for having me on. This is a pleasure. I hope and, it's... Uh, well, we'll it was, have, I was a nervous... I, I hope I, I don't come off as a nervous wreck, but... Uh, not at all. This is... Okay. Well, you're, you're, uh, you're, well, let me tell you, you're welcome back here anytime. You had some good perspectives. Uh, I, I look forward to having you back. All right. Well, next time we'll talk about Kenny G. Uh, don't put it like <laughs> <laughs> uh, All right. Thanks, Morris. All right. Thanks, Juan. And uh, we'll be back in a couple of weeks with the ep- next episode of Love That Album. Cheers. A one, a two, a one, two, It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.